I have a one-year-old and a three-year-old, and I just find myself um, in distractions a lot and not connecting with them as much as I would like to, not being as good of a father as I'd like to. And um, I had a father who was kind of a ghost in the family where he was there, um, but he wasn't really there. Um, and I, I don't want to reproduce that for my kids. Right, right. Can you tell me a little bit about your dad as, as a whole? Yeah. Um, let's see. Um, where to start? Um, there were four kids in my family. Um, he was kind of um, passive until he gets um, beyond his pushing point, and then he gets explosively angry. Um, I mean, a good story is uh, we had cable TV growing up and then got into an argument with a cable TV rep and just um, blew, blew it and canceled the cable and got into a big argument. And uh, like that's the pattern with my, with my dad. He's kind of easygoing um, until he's not. <laughs> and, uh, and my Mother is um, kind of a control freak. Um, yeah, she kind of ran the family. She's. We all walked around on eggshells in my house, and she would um, you know, do everything for you, but um, you, you wouldn't want to get her upset. And how would her anger manifest? Um, rage, she'd, uh, she would scream, um, and, um, yep, she'd have like a, a explosive fit, and then we'd all walking around in eggshells for a couple of days, and then everything would be fine until the next time. And when she would raise her voice or yell or scream, what would she say? Would it be like insults or abuse or like how would it happen um uh things like oh, i brought you into this world i can take you out um uh what else common phrases uh, oh i i took karate I think. um when we were younger yeah the anything i only get hit by my father once like putting me over his knee um, they weren't they weren't very physically violent um yeah, lots of threats like oh i've got eyes in the back of my head that, that type of thing so i mean death threats right yeah and that's that's true absolutely yeah, it kind of reminds me of uh, of the old Bill Cosby. There's an old Bill Cosby routine, you know, back before he was disgraced and, and sent to jail. Yeah, no, he'd be talking about the physical abuse from his father and his father saying, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. I mean, that's, you know, because people are like, ha, 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 that's funny. And it's like, no, that's a death threat. Yeah. Uh, you try that with an adult. You try that with an adult and say, if you don't do what I want, I will kill you. Uh, you go to jail. Yeah, and, and the difference between how they treated the children and how they treated 
adults. It was pretty stark, especially when when we weren't in public. Like there's a, a different um, atmosphere, home alone, away from everybody else. And then if we'd have you know, Thanksgiving over at our house, everything's happening, cheery, and everything's great. Just don't piss off, mom. Good. I'm sorry, just if you can back off a little bit from the mic, I think that might help in terms of clarity. I can just turn my volume up and fix it after, but it might be that you're a bit too close. And what would your father say when he got angry? Uh, um, he would be like, um, don't try that shit with me, buddy. Um, he would... I think it was more about the tone of voice. Um, things start coming off as a threat, and you could hear the anger when he boiled over. But again, that wasn't very often. And what are your positive memories? Um, yeah, we do family vacations down to Florida. Um, the uh, two happiest memories, or, or happiest I've seen my father, um, were the day I went off to college and then the day I graduated college. And the joy in his face, kind of um, seeing me hit those milestones, but also I think a big part of it is just kind of being out of the house. And, and as soon as I graduated college, I moved to the other side of the country and um, had very little contact with them, and, and now I have no contact with them at all. Right. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry to hear that. I mean, I think it's incredibly destructive for parents to, you know, they have kids, and they then keep the kids in the house, and... They then seem to quite often indicate to the children that they don't enjoy their children's company. It's kind of weird. It's like kidnapping someone because you want them around so much and then treating them like crap. Of course, you're kidnapping, you're treating them like crap anyway, but it's just kind of a strange, and I, I think it's really destructive in a way that's not often understood, that if you are a parent and... You make it clear to your kids that you don't enjoy their company or that they're too much trouble. You know, you, you see this with marriages, too, uh, where, where the women all get together and complain about their husbands, which is just about the most retarded thing you can think of. Because, I mean, you chose these, <laughs> you chose these men. You chose yeah. these men. And when women – and women will often – this is sort of the insecurity, vanity – two sides of the coin with regards to women, but they'll often sit around and, you know, complain that their husbands are kind of half children and, uh, and uh, they roll their eyes and they put up with them and all this kind of stuff. And all of that is, is a cheap emotional ploy to, re to retain dominance in the relationship. So when you really love someone and you need someone and you care for someone, I mean, that's a vulnerable position to be in because they could leave you and they could break your heart and, and all of that. And so a lot of people try to avoid that vulnerability of caring and needing and loving 
in the sort of belief that it's going to keep them safe from rejection. But of course it doesn't. It doesn't keep them safe from rejection at all because they're rejecting everyone and being rejected by those people just to have and maintain power in the relationship. And uh, it's pretty it's pretty tragic. So, I mean, I've heard this quite a bit and, and I've seen it at times in my life and, you know, now hearing of it from you, I mean, it's really, it's really tragic because, of course, when you're a kid, you judge yourself by how other people judge you. You don't have some independent objective oracle floating around you like the rings of Saturn telling you the truth. All you can do is judge yourself by how your parents or your teachers or preachers or whatever, some combination of all, how they how they judge you. And society as a whole generally sees children as annoyingly exploitable inconveniences. Right. The teachers are like, well, I guess in order to get my summers off and my pension and my health care, I guess I have to spend time with these kids. And the parents are grudgingly, you know, provide for their kids, but the kids are generally perceived as a big hassle. And the whole point of this, of course, is to keep children from feeling the kind of security that they might feel and which they need in order to challenge existing social structures. Right? You have to have a lot of confidence and a lot of faith in your own ability to think and reason and communicate in order to take on existing social structures. And those social structures don't want people growing up and challenging them. So what they do is they train parents to view children as annoying inconveniences. And that way, the children grow up without a bond and with a feeling of insecurity and imminent rejection. And that gives the mob or the crowd much greater control over those children when they get older. Like I look at these sort of social justice mobs and all this kind of stuff. And it's all, to me, it's all like, okay, so you have merged with the group because you were not loved as children. And so you're very susceptible to rejection, which gives nasty people great control over the population. It's all sort of part of a whole thing. So I don't sort of want to abstract your individual or personal suffering into a general social or political malaise. But what I do want to say is, it's not personal. It wasn't like your parents were assigned you as a bunkmate. You know, like in boarding school, when I was there at the age of six, we all slept in a big dormitory. I don't know, like 30 kids to the room or something like that. And I had a kid to my left. I had a kid to my right. I didn't choose those kids. I didn't choose to go to boarding school. I didn't choose, I think we were assigned alphabetically or something like that. So I didn't choose any of those people. And yet somehow, as a whole, parents who choose to have children and who are responsible for the shaping of those children, I mean, you can, you can do quite a bit to shape or harm children. It's not all just genetics, right? I mean, there's a lot of environmental factors that go into the formation of a personality, and unfortunately, just as the result of political power and the anti-rational arguments of those in power, parents have to be trained to not bond with their children, right? This is why women are told, you've got to go have a career, yeah, right? So, so that they don't bond with their kids because kids without a bond with their parents are very easy to control. Because they fear rejection so enormously that all that has to happen is 
the mob has to threaten to reject them and they'll join the mob, right? It gives the mob great power. And, and of course, the mob is the attack arm of sophists, right? So sophists create family breakdown and taunt and encourage and shame parents into abandoning their children so that sophists can manipulate the mob and gain weaponized unbonding against their enemies, right? So I just want to point out that while the suffering in your case and, you know, my case, and this is certainly very powerful and very individual, it's really important to recognize that your parents didn't judge you objectively and find you wanting. I mean, that would be crazy anyway. It would be like me doing a bad show, if such a thing could be conceived of. It'd be like me doing a bad show and then railing as a third party against this bad show as if I had nothing to do with it. I mean, <laughs> it'd be kind of weird. It'd be kind of schizo, right? So your parents didn't sort of judge you and say, oh, well, um, you know, the way that I would judge my bunkie mate in boarding school, like I didn't have anything to do with this guy's formation and I didn't have anything to do with why he was in my life. So I can judge him without having, like I can judge the, 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 the meal since I didn't cook it or order it, I can judge the meal and I don't have anything to do with the fact that it's in front of me and I have to eat it. But parents, they didn't judge you, right? They didn't evaluate you in some independent manner and find you wanting. And they themselves, if they're not particularly smart, and this, you know, the moment I hear some parents say, oh, I brought you into this world, I could take you out. The moment I hear that, I think, well, that's, not only is that cruel and malicious and violent, the threat of violence, but it's also profoundly unoriginal. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's one thing, you know, I'm not putting razor fist or someone like, someone with that kind of acidic verbal fluidity, uh, you know, they may say some pretty harsh things, though I'm not putting him in the category, of course, of child abuse, as he's a very entertaining guy. Mm-hmm. But that verbal fluidity, it, it may be harsh, but it, at least it has, the, it's creative as hell. You know, his verbal fluidity is extraordinary. And so when people are both cruel and they use that cruelty or that cruelty is deployed through the repetition of mindless cliches they stole from other people, I'm like, oh, that's not a good sign in terms of parental acuity or intelligence. And so, uh, you know, I guess I guess the important thing is, you know, you don't take it personally. It's important not to take it personally, like it was some kind of judgment of you in some kind of objective fashion. Now, as a kid, you kind of have to believe that. But as an adult, you've got to say, okay, you know, I once believed in Santa Claus. I once believed in the Easter Bunny. I once believed that the Tooth Fairy came and gave me $5 when I lost a tooth. And I also once believed that my parents' judgment of me had anything to do with me. And that is, you know, we we all outgrow Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, and the Tooth Fairy. But that other one, (laughs) that other one's a bit more of a step, right? Because we do have to believe for our own self-protection that our parents are judging us objectively. Otherwise, they're just crazy, dangerous people who have control over us for the next 15 years or 20 years or whatever. That's a lot to take. And I don't think kids can, can take that. But I guess the long, like at the end of that lengthy speech is to ask you how much you think you have been judged objectively by your parents or how much of your 
personality is founded on this judgment somehow being accurate. I understand um, definitely intellectually that it's not me that they were judging. Um, I think uh, maybe emotionally that's harder to believe all the time, especially because you know, they had four kids and they treated it all, us all quite a bit differently. And I think I got the, the harshest of it um, from them. So, yes, I, I believe that they weren't judging me as a you know, eight-year-old kid um, objectively. Ah, okay. Sorry to interrupt. But so there, there's a very, very interesting question, right? And I'm, I'm sorry, it sounds kind of like Spock-like, oh, fascinating question, right? But, but it really is a powerful and deep question. So you say the four kids, right? And you were treated the worst, is that fair to say? I mean, maybe, maybe if you went to your siblings and you say, well, I was treated the worst, they say, no, I was treated the worst. But is it kind of accepted that you were treated the worst in, in your, among your siblings? Yeah, I'm not a, a black sheep among my siblings, but I'm the um, not as close as the rest of them are. Um, especially Sorry, to, as close to each other or to your parents or both? Or? Both. I, I kind of think of it like we're, we all, um, you know, we're in the same, we survived the same prison, so we have that bond, but <laughs> we're not very close as siblings, especially me to the other three. Right. Okay. So, so why, why were you treated worse? That's a big question, right? Why were you treated worse? What do you think? Uh, I think I was I was the oldest. I was the most rebellious. Um, uh, I, I was born six months after my parents got married, so maybe there's some resentment about forcing them together. Um, like, uh, my my younger brother was always kind of the smartest, most compliant. And uh, my two sisters um, weren't as nearly as rebellious. Um, and my youngest sister definitely had some spats with my mother, but now they're they're all kind of dependent. My two sisters are more dependent on my parents. My brother is out on his own, but my youngest sisters live um, in a house that my parents own. So they, they can't be terribly objective. Um, yeah, I think I think I, I just wanted to get out of there and, and be done with it. And what you say, so you said that your younger brother is smarter than you. Is that what you were saying? Yeah, he's uh, he's a PhD in physics, so I think it's fair to say he's smarter. Than well, he's certainly smarter than both of us in physics, probably <laughs> combined. Just kidding, right? Okay, so, okay, so do you know why? Then, to me, the answer is pretty clear. Now, listen, just as you know, and I'll say this to remind people, right? Because so, just because something is clear to me does not mean that it's true, because I'm talking about your experience in your family, right? So something that is blindingly obvious to me could be completely and totally incorrect, right? So if it doesn't mesh or merge with your experience, 
I will only take offense if you pretend to agree with me. <laughs> I will never take offense if you disagree with me and tell me I'm wrong. That's because the last thing I want to do is have my certainty override your actual experience, right? Nonetheless, that, 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 that caveat having been said, I feel completely certain as to why you were treated the harshest. And I'll give you the very brief thought, and then you can tell me if it's right or wrong, according to your experience, which is what counts. So if you have a bunch of kids, you want to treat the eldest children, the, harsh, the eldest child, sorry, the harshest for the simple reason that your harshness on the eldest serves as a very clear warning to all the other children. They see you being treated incredibly harshly or very harshly by your parents. And seeing and absorbing, internalizing that example, that lesson, means that they're not going to try any of the stuff you tried. Tell me if that makes any sense to you. Yeah, I cut down the tall poppy. It it makes sense. I've never thought about my family dynamics that way, but that makes sense. I mean, it's a whole lot easier to have a smoking cradle where the eldest child is and then say to the to the youngest, uh, the younger kids, do you, do you feel like doing what he did? No, no, I really don't, right? Because they've seen what happened to you. Yeah, I definitely don't think they did that, you know, consciously or intentionally, but um, certainly worked out that way. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know if I want to do a tangent here. I'll keep it brief. So the conscious thing doesn't matter. The conscious thing doesn't matter. So when people say, you know, it wasn't like my parents had some sort of Venn diagram about how they were going to control their four kids by being very harsh on the eldest as an example and blah, blah, blah. Say, well, if they didn't do it consciously, it's, it, it, it's, it's not relevant. Mm-hmm. It's not relevant, and I'll tell you why. Because when you become a parent... You are morally responsible to maintain the best treatment of your children. Right? So you said that your parents treated you and your siblings very differently in public. Did I get that right? In public versus in private, yes. Right. So to to return to my rather hackneyed example of speaking Japanese... If if I say to you, man, hey, I don't I don't speak I don't really speak Japanese, and uh, I can't I can't help you with your Japanese homework. And then what happens is we meet some Japanese person, and I break out in fluent Japanese and have a very pleasant chat with that person. Then clearly I'm lying about not speaking Japanese, right? Mm-hmm. And every time I said to you, well, I don't speak Japanese, and I can't help you, I was just lying, and it was destructive, right? Mm-hmm. So, speaking Japanese translates into the best treatment you received from your parents. So, if in public your parents treated you well, then they speak Japanese. They know how to treat children well. They're perfectly aware, A, of how to treat people well, and B, how to actually practically achieve it. Absolutely. Because they're very fluent in good parenting. Because every time they're in public or every time somebody comes to the house or every time somebody with power is around, it's like the thief, right? 
thief who says, man, I just feel compelled to steal. It's like, okay, so let's say you're about to steal something and there's a cop standing next to you. Do you refrain from stealing? Well, yeah, okay, then you're not compelled to steal because you know precisely how to respect property rights because you do it every single time there's a cop around or a security guard or a camera. So your parents, you say, oh, well, I don't know if it was conscious in terms of the... But as a parent, you are responsible for the very best treatment that you can, or the very best that you can act as a parent. So my mother was really great when we were in public. She was good-humored. She was highly forgiving. I mean, I remember once she came to visit me in boarding school, and I spent the day with her, and I was in my boarding school uniform, and I was running around a fountain. I guess I was six or so. I was running around a fountain, and I fell into the fountain. Now, if we had been alone in some scenario, I would have had the living crap beaten out of me. But, thank heavens, and bewilderingly to me, there was a a large number of people in the park. And so what did she do? She laughed. She pulled me out. She said, we'll go and get you some other clothes. Are you okay? Gave me a hug, despite that it made her wet. She was great. She was great. So she knew exactly how to be great. There's no question of it. She knew exactly how to speak fluent Japanese. But, you see, if we were in private, and I say, as I've mentioned before, put a a cup down on a side table, or I think it was a cabinet, and it left a little white ring, I could be beaten half to death. And mm-hmm. it's funny, too, because it's not funny, right? But but even now, like I'm reading my audiobook, and I've got a whole separate system for my podcast system for my audiobook because things always drift. Some application will come and change the volume levels, and like, I don't want anything to drift. So I've got a completely sealed away system for recording my audiobook, and I will bring a cup of decaf coffee or something to wet my throat because it's quite a strain doing some of these voices for an extended period of time, like Churchill and, and uh, Anthony Eden and even Reginald can be kind of rough. And so what I do is I take my coffee and I put it down on a side table. Not every time, but, you know, at least once a week, I remember that time with my mother. And so when we were alone, my mother was dangerously violent, right, to the point where I could have been seriously injured, lost an eye, I could have been killed, just dangerously violent, murderous. Oh, my God. Right? I mean, I'm, I'm not saying this to overshadow. I'm just, what I'm saying is that my mother, like, why do I hold my mother responsible? Now, if my mother had beaten me up in front of a policeman, then clearly she was just morally insane. And I would not hold her morally responsible if the crimes had been discovered. And that's one of the ways in which the law, I mean, what my mother did was criminal. 
she she's a criminal. People say, oh, you should hang with your mother. You should forgive your mother. It's like, but she's an unrepentant child abuser. And I would not hold her morally responsible if she had abused me in public, but nobody ever knew. Oh, well, I shouldn't say nobody ever knew because there was lots of screams and shouts and thumps and beatings in an, in apartment buildings because I never lived in a house other than when I was too, too young to remember. So tons of people knew, but my mom understood the world a whole lot better than I did when she was when we were both younger because she knew that she could beat the hell out of her child and nobody would call the police, nobody would do anything, nobody would knock on the door. She understood the world a lot better than I did when I was uh, when we were younger. And so when you say, well, I, they weren't conscious, what you're doing is you're trying to take away responsibility from your parents. And listen, I'm perfectly fine taking away responsibility from people who genuinely don't have responsibility. You know, like uh, if if you're a, a critic of mass migration or mass immigration, I don't know that you can reasonably go to your parents and say, well, you know, what did you do about, you know, they don't, they don't control these levers, right? They don't control the honey part of the welfare state. They don't control whether the borders are open or closed. They don't, they don't control this. So you wouldn't want to, I, I 100% blame you, mom and dad, for whatever political policy I don't like. Or, you know, I, I can't believe that you allowed George Bush to invade Iraq. Or I can't believe that you allowed the Federal Reserve to print that much money. That would be wrong because your parents are not solely responsible and and their level of responsibility in these geopolitical matters is virtually zero right i mean there's a tiny bit that they can do right they can talk to people they can vote or whatever if there's anyone to vote for which after the brief flash of trump which is still not over yet uh, it seems kind of pointless again but Mm -hmm. so i i don't i wouldn't support you blaming your parents for things that were not under their control, but saying that it was unconscious for your parents um, in terms of how they treated you relative as an example to this, that, or the other. As a parent, not knowing something is not an excuse. Right? So people say, and I think this is where you're coming from, you say, well, things were unconscious as a way of saying, well, I mean, it wasn't like they consciously plotted and had diagrams and knew. But that, and you think that that makes it better, but it actually makes it worse. And I'll tell you why. If you decide to fake being a doctor and you go into a hospital and, I don't know, let's just say, you're the twin of some surgeon and you've stolen his ID and you've stolen his uniform and, and, and you walk into an operating room and you start cutting people up or you start cutting someone up. And then that person dies because you don't know what you're doing. You're basically playing fruit ninja with their innards. And then people say, well... Uh, he didn't, he didn't know anything about surgery. How on earth was he supposed to not kill that person? What would you say? He shouldn't be in the operating room. That's right. 
If you consciously put yourself in a situation where you have control over others, then you don't have the excuse of saying, well, I, I lack knowledge. It was unconscious. Because the act of becoming a parent and keeping a child and raising a child is a lot more complicated than faking being a surgeon. It takes a lot more forethought, a lot more planning. You've got nine months of warning. And so, A, your parents knew how to treat you guys well and did so consistently when you were in public. And B, they voluntarily put themselves in the position where they had control over you. Now, you can make up a ghost called the unconscious and try and remove responsibility from them, but that means you will be absent from your own children. Because you're saying there's an excuse, a ghost, a gypsy, voodoo, Aztec curse called the unconscious, which means that parents aren't responsible for bad parenting. But if you give your parents that excuse, who else gets that excuse? I see. You do. I see what you're saying. Now, please understand, I'm not putting you in the same category as your parents. I'm not saying you are a bad parent. But to where your parenting is not meeting your standards, and, uh, you know, f congratulations to you for recognizing that, for asking for help, and I hope that I'm sure we can achieve something positive in this conversation. So I'm not putting you in the same category, but there is a, same, a similar principle at work down in the guts of things. Mm -hmm. Because your parents absolutely knew the difference between good and bad parenting. They absolutely, 100%, completely and totally understood to the deepest level the difference between good and bad parenting. And how do we know that? Because of how they acted versus or when people were around versus how they acted when nobody was around. Right. Just by the by, I don't know, you're, you're a young guy, right? So you probably don't remember there was a sitcom that ran for, I don't know, six or seven seasons in, in the 80s called Family Ties. Now, Family Ties, you could never do this sitcom now because Family Ties was about Democrat parents and a Republican son. A very pro-Reagan, young, like explicit Parents were old hippies now living in the suburbs, and the son was a straight-up Reagan-loving Republican. And it was a young Michael J. Fox who played that role. And in that, there were significant differences between the parents and the child. And, of course, the child, in this case the teenager, Alex B. Keaton was his name. And it's so funny because a friend of mine who is an objectivist and a very small government guy. He hasn't, I don't think he's made it all the way to anarchy yet, but, you know, I guess we could be patient. It's only been 30 years. And he, he, he's so identified with Alex P. Keaton that he said, like, Alex P. Keaton, this young Republican in the show, uh, quit the debate team because of, I can't remember, X, Y, or Z reason. And he said, I watched that episode and I got goosebumps because I quit the debate team for exactly the same reason. Like, there was so much overlap. It was kind of funny, right? Because to a large degree, Democrat and Republican, left versus right, conservative versus liberal, it's genetic. 
And this is why when the liberals say don't hire conservatives, they are actually practicing genetic discrimination. Your views on immigration are two-thirds genetic. And you're born that way <laughs> to a large degree. So, yeah, it is just a form of genetic discrimination. But so, so the reason I'm bringing up this show is I didn't watch it that much. Uh, but uh, I, I watched, uh, I don't know, probably 10 or 15 episodes. And in it, the parents had massive differences with the son. And you could really argue that these are moral differences. And certainly they've become hysterical, cult-like narcissism of small divisions in modern world. You could no longer have this kind of show because it humanized Republicans. And you simply couldn't have that in the modern media. But But the family, in family ties, and I just, the reason it popped into my head is they just had a reunion. So there's a a group that is getting together people who used to work together, particularly on old sitcoms or old movies, and they're having them all get together for Zoom calls and Q&As, and they're raising money for actors who are out of work because of the... uh, uh, of the coronavirus and so on. And and so I I was just reading a little article about this, uh, this sitcom from the 80s. And in this sitcom... As in all the other sitcoms from the 70s, from the 80s, I'm talking like eight is enough. Um, I mean, even back to Little House on the Prairie, where there was some child hitting, but it was off screen. And if you look at uh, Full House and uh, just a wide variety of other sitcoms, children never got hit. They never got yelled at. They never got called names. Everybody was reasonable. In Full House, they had a talking stick where... You couldn't speak unless you had to stick. So it was all rational. It was all reasonable. It was all peaceful parenting. All of it. And if you had had a show where a child had been screamed at in the way that your parents yelled, if a child had been threatened, if a child had been assaulted, if a child had been spanked, I mean, as one, the parents across the West would rise up and condemn that and get that show taken off the air. So when I was a kid, the media, and it's still, I think, the case even now, but the media was full of endless depictions of peaceful parenting. Like 100%, virtually 100% accurate depictions of peaceful parenting. Children were reasoned with, they were negotiated with. And you said you, and the reason I bring this up too, is you said that, I mean, you guys had cable and your dad but threatened to cut it off, right? Um, yeah, yeah, he blew up and cut it off. Right. So your parents, I assume, watched television shows, may have watched some sitcoms, may have watched some of these kinds of shows or shows that were similar to it. And, I mean, there's, there's peaceful parenting in the show Friends because uh, the Ross character has a son who kind of vanishes later because he becomes inconvenient. But... Um, you know, he's reasons with his son, and they don't yell and hit and doesn't call them names and so on, right? Now, your parents were exposed probably to hundreds, if not thousands, of hours of training on peaceful parenting through the television. And this is why, I mean, you go all the way back to, this is way back in the day, My Three Sons. You go back to Leave it to Beaver. Uh, Wait Till Your Father Gets Home, which is a show, a cartoon I watched when I was a kid. And all, all of these shows, all the way back to the 50s, peaceful parenting, peaceful parenting, peaceful parenting, peaceful parenting. Again, there was some minor exceptions, such as 
Little House on the Prairie, but Little House on the Prairie was set in the fairly distant past. So for 60, 70 years, flowing from the television into the minds and hearts of parents is endless training on peaceful parenting, which they lapped up, enjoyed, laughed at, and would have been absolutely appalled if they had seen their own parenting practices shown on the screen. In other words, if your parents had switched on a sitcom or a TV show involving parenting and someone had taken a transcript or a video and recreated it using actors of how they actually parented when they were alone and angry with their children, they would have been absolutely appalled. And this is what's so weird about all of this stuff. I just, I really want to get you get, because you've got to denormalize this in your mind. It's so weird that abusive parents constantly consume material showing peaceful, wonderful parenting and would be absolutely appalled if their own behavior showed up in that sitcom. And yet, they don't change their own behavior with their children. It's so weird when you think about it, right? I mean, it's just it's completely bizarre. So yeah. I'm, I'm fine with parents 100 years ago, 200 years ago. I'm not fine with it, but I understand it. Right, that they just didn't have any. But your parents, they watched TV. They had hundreds or thousands of hours of training on peaceful parenting. They knew exactly what peaceful parenting was. They modeled the sitcom when they were with other people, right? Yeah. Where did they learn how to do that? From the TV, from movies, which were constantly telling and training them on how to be peaceful parents. In public, they're a sitcom. In private, they're a horror movie, right? Exactly. So once you have been exposed and lapped up and enjoyed and appreciated and supported hundreds or thousands of hours of training on peaceful parenting, don't try and tell me that anything they did was unconscious. Once peaceful parenting got out into the world through the TV from the 1950s onwards, once that got out there, all parents are 100% responsible for abuse. And your parents were completely conscious of how to be great parents. They got that through the TV and they modeled that in public. And it's hard, man. It's hard to give your parents 100% responsibility. My mother knew how to be a great mother. But she indulged in violence. She knew exactly how to not be violent. And it, more so, she knew exactly how to be positive and peaceful as a parent. How to be reasonable, how to be discussed. How to find the good humor in ill effects, right? So the other day, I was hiking with my wife. And we were coming down a very steep hill. And I was zigzagging a little because I was like, the ground's kind of uneven. It's a little wet. Uh, and it was a fun hike and all of that. And, and I was also getting kind of tired because it had been like two hours of we climbed to the top of a mountain and back down again. And my wife turned and said, oh, well, I don't find it that slip. And then what happened? Oh, no. <laughs> she slipped. And she fell in the mud, right? Now, 
I mean, it's not a particularly important moment in life, but what did she do? She laughed. She said, I can't believe I was just about to say that it wasn't that slippery, and I slipped. (laughs) Right? And I, of course, wasn't sitting there saying, I told you it was slippery and you just didn't listen. Because, you know, I mean, I sympathize, right? I mean, we've all done that. We've all said, we've all gone out, you know, and our wife says, you should take a jacket. And we've all said, no, I don't need a jacket. And then what happens? We freeze our tits off, right? (laughs) We've We've all done that. We've all made those decisions, which turn out to be a bad decision. And so what am I going to do and sit there and say, you should have been more careful. Now you're muddy and blah, right? Like, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. You just, I mean, we went and got another pair of pants and continued with our day. So your parents are 100% responsible. 100% responsible for treating you badly. They knew exactly how to treat you well, just as my mother did. I agree. So that's the first thing, because if you give your parents 100% responsibility, ah, I mean, the, the dominoes that, that go down are very briefly. I'm sorry for talking so much, but I want to sort of get this stuff cleared away for you and for the listeners because I haven't delved into this topic for quite some time. But when you've done wrong, and listen, you haven't done much wrong, I mean, as far as parenting goes, right? I mean, it's all, it's all solvable, and, and that's why it's so great for you to call. But it's really hard for those of us who haven't done much wrong in our lives, it's really hard to know what it actually feels like to have a bad conscience and to be vulnerable to the truth. So the truth, the honesty, the facts, reality, the history, your vocalization of what went wrong in your family, that's like a constant predator in your life. It's a constant predator in your life. And you and I don't really know what it's like to have a constant predator in our life. You know, people dependent on the government have a constant predator in their life, which is uh, the taxpayers getting kind of pissed off at supporting their... Sorry, go ahead. I see. Right. So we don't know what it's like to have a constant predator in our life and to have to manage and control and, and manipulate everyone to keep that predator at bay. We don't know what that's like. But it's important to figure out what that's like. Now, the people who've done wrong, they did wrong by abusing their power And then what they want to say later on is, oh, I was powerless. It's like, no, no, that's... Your parents hit you in a way they couldn't go and hit other adults. They couldn't go and hit other people's children. They couldn't go and hit a policeman or a security guard or whatever, right? Because they'd go to jail, right? But they hit you. So they abused their power, the power that they voluntarily sought over you by having children. So they created the conditions where they had that power, they abused that power, and then if and when you confront them about their abuse of power, do you know what they say? The excuse I got was, did the best I could with the knowledge I had at the time. Yeah, I was powerless. Yep. Like if you say to me, Steph, you're a total fool because you didn't predict the exact number of votes that Trump was going to get or Joe Biden was going to get or whatever, right? Uh, My reply would be to say, look, a standard of omniscience is not a rational standard, right? Right. And so I would say, listen, I did the best I could with the knowledge I had in the predictions that I made. And then if you said, ah, yes, but you didn't come down with the actual number, it's like, but that number wasn't available and I I couldn't have known it. So your parents are saying that If you say to your parents, 
I'm just rebooting here to make sure that the flow goes well. Sorry. <laughs> Sometimes this uh, building the plane while it's flying is a little awkward. So you go to your parents and you say you acted badly. And they said, well, we did the best we could with the knowledge we had. They're saying that they didn't know how to be better parents. And of course, the reply to that is, hey, let's do it. Let's do it. You know what? Rather than me, right? Like, you, why don't you role play your dad and I'll role play you? How's that? Okay, you dropped out there for the last 10 seconds, though. Oh, I dropped? What do you want to role play? Um, I got an incoming call, so... It oh, you got an incoming call? Are you okay now? Yes. Okay. So let's role play you being your dad and me being you talking about the past. Okay. Because I need to know what their excuses are because those excuses are also excusing your parenting at the moment. Okay. So I come up and I say, Dad, oh, man, we got to talk. Man, we got to talk. I've really, really been thinking about what happened when I was a child. And I got to tell you, it's, uh, you know, I've got some good memories. It's not all bad. I, I get all that. It's some fun vacations and all of that. But, you know, this yelling, this this abuse, this, uh, you know, I brought you into this world. I can take you out. Which, you know, as a kid was like kind of like a death threat to me. Well, it's all pretty bad stuff. And I guess I'm noticing some things showing up in my own parenting, and I, I think that they're related. So I just, I'd really like to talk about this stuff. Sure. What's going on? Well, I, I just, I just, I mean, you, you do remember making these threats against me, right? Um, yeah, I mean, we said a lot of stuff to, to help you kids grow up, but I think we did a, a great job look at how you and your siblings turned out okay but if you did a great job then why was what you did so different when we were with other people from from when we were home um what do you mean well so when we were home you'd yell at us call us names kind of insult us and threaten us that never happened when we were in public, ever. And so I guess that's my question. is like, okay, if you believe that you did such a good job, then why was your job so different, whether we were in public or in private? Which was, which was the good job? Not yelling at us, not threatening us, not calling us names, or yelling, threatening, and calling names? Because they're not, I mean, they're opposite behaviors, right? So which one was the, which one was the good parenting? Well, you know, sometimes being a parent is hard and, you know, when you're raising four kids, sometimes things get stressful, but you do the best you can with, with uh, the knowledge you have at the time and it, like, uh, things did, did great. I mean, my, my dad used to, to yell and hit me and, and uh, you know, your, your mother's father was a, an alcoholic. And I think you guys had it pretty good i i guess that's nice to hear in a weird way but you didn't actually answer my question do you remember what the question was it, uh, what's wrong what, what's all this all about no i'm just asking you do you remember what my question was <clears throat> you're saying we somehow treated you different when you were in public versus private so can you just be honest with me and tell me that you don't even remember the question I asked you like 30 seconds ago? I kind of, I, I, what I'm saying, Dad, is I kind of need you to listen at the moment 
to me and not just fog out and not just give me these platitudes. I, I really need you to listen to me. It's really important to me because I, you know, you say you did a better job than your own parents. Great. I want to do a better job than you. I just don't understand where all this is coming from. Then. But What's that's wrong? not, you, that's not the point. The point is for you to listen. Wrong with you? Is, no, are the, you doing the, okay? Okay. The point is for you to listen to me, not to try and figure out why I'm saying what I'm saying. I've already told you why. I want to be an even better parent than you were, right? I'm sure you would support me in that endeavor. You certainly weren't a perfect parent, right? I think I was a, a pretty damn good father. But not perfect. Well, of course. I mean, if you want perfect, then, you know, go to the moon. This is, this is crazy. What, what's going on? Okay, so let's go back to the question that I asked, okay? Because you said that you were a good parent... But when we were in public, if there was conflict, you were reasonable, you were peaceful, you didn't yell, you didn't hit, you didn't call us names, you didn't threaten. But in private, you did the opposite behavior. Now, I think you can understand that for a child, that's really confusing, right? Because, okay, which is the good parenting? Is it the yelling, the name calling, the insulting, the threatening, or is it the opposite of those things? And that's my question is, which was the better parenting, what you did in public or what happened in private? You know, I, think, I think we were great parents. I mean, obviously, you know, we didn't do everything perfectly, but, but I mean, come on. You got it pretty good. Are you just really dedicated to not answering my question? Is that right? Can you at least acknowledge that you're not going to answer my question? rather than just completely ignoring what the hell I'm saying? Look, if you want to have a, a good conversation, just call me when you're ready. Write me a letter uh, telling me how you feel. This is crazy. No, but I am telling you how I feel. Let, let me ask you something else. We can drop that one because, I mean, obviously you're not going to answer, which, which that kind of is my answer. Okay, so you say that, you know, in the times, listen, I as a parent, dad, I as a parent, I as a dad, dad, act imperfectly. Right, I, I'm not a perfect parent, and and so all of that, right? So I'm not trying to put myself in some massively different category from you, right? You're, you're a dad, and you made mistakes. I'm a dad, I make mistakes, and so on, right? Now, what you say though is that you say, "Well, I did the best I could with the knowledge I had." Now, my question is, I can't remember a time when that excuse was ever good enough for me when I was a child. So when I was, you know, 8 or, or 10 or 12 or whatever, if I did badly on a test at school, you'd get mad at me. And if I said, hey, Dad, I did the best I could with the knowledge I had, what would you have said to me? You should have studied harder. You, you uh, could have done a lot better at school. Right. So why, di why didn't I have that excuse at 8, but you had that excuse at 30? Why did I not have that excuse when it was a pretty meaningless test, but you have that excuse when it comes to actually raising children. I tried to to guide you as a father and, and help you become the best person you could be, and I think we did a pretty damn good job. Does my opinion about your parenting matter at all, or is it only your opinion about your parenting matter? Your other siblings don't have this complaint. That's why, but I'm not talking about them or for them. I'm talking about me. I'm just curious, like, if my opinion about your parenting 
And I gave you some praise and some compliments about the good times we had. So you did some things well. But are you saying that, like, you provided a service called parenting to me as a child? Are you saying that my perception of things that weren't always great with you as a parent, that my perception doesn't matter, that only your perception matters about the service you were providing to me? I'm your father. I, I was a great father to you when you were a little boy. I, I put you through school and make sure you were lacking for nothing. I, I helped you get into college and look at what you've become. You're an engineer. You've got a family of your own. Just do what you think is best for your family. Okay, let me ask you this. So if I didn't study for an exam and I didn't do very well on the exam, what would you have said to me as a child? You would have said, you should have studied harder. You should have cracked the books. You should have been more disciplined. You shouldn't have played video games. You shouldn't have gone to play with your friends, right? You wouldn't say, well, you just didn't have the knowledge, and that's, that's fine, right? So my question is, so you had a test, right? I guess a test that goes on for decades called parenting, being, being a dad, right? And you said, of course, that you know you had problems with your dad, and your dad was not as good a parent as you were. And so... And listen, I, I appreciate that. I really do appreciate the fact that you did better than your dad. I think that's great. But you had a test called being a parent. And I, when I was eight, was expected to study for tests that were completely unimportant relative to being a parent. I guess my question is, can you just tell me, like, you were going to become a parent. You had lots of warning. You knew that you didn't want to be a parent the way that your dad was a parent. So I guess... I just need to know what books did you study, what courses did you take, what theories did you pursue in order to take on this responsibility? Because, you know, I'm eight years old. I've got to study for a math test or a spelling test. As far as being a parent goes, what, what did you learn? What did you train yourself on? What did you study to become a better parent than your dad? I didn't read any books, but, you know, I moved out from the city to the suburb to, to get you guys into a, a better environment than I had growing up. Why do you think you didn't read any books about how to be a parent? Just busy. Just uh, trying to to uh, provide for your kids and... Well, no, but I'm talking about before. Hang on, hang on, Dad. Hang on. I'm talking about before. Before you became a father, right? I mean, you had nine months of warning. Are you saying that you didn't have time to crack a book that, that whole time or any time before? Well, I wasn't planning on being a father when you came around. Yeah, but if I know I have a test in nine months, doesn't that give me at least some time to study? No, I don't know what you want me to say. It, it is what it is. I'm sorry, that's not an answer. Could you just try that again? Can you tell me why? Because, you know, you watch TV a lot, you know, when we were growing up, and you could have taken, you know, a couple of hours out of that TV watching schedule, which, you know, to read a book or two or on, on parenting or anything like that. I want to just write this stuff down and send me a letter. I mean, this isn't being very productive. Well, it's not being very productive because you just won't answer any of my questions. And I have a right to ask, ask these questions, right? I mean, 
you were my father and there's good in what you did and there was some not so good in what you did and I want to improve my parenting. You understand I have a perfect right to ask these questions of you. You chose to become a father. I didn't choose to be born and I didn't choose you as a father. So I have a right to ask these questions of you, right? I guess. I mean, I don't know. I don't understand where this is coming from. Why this is coming up all of a sudden. What, what do you mean all of a sudden? You've been my father for decades, right? And I told you I want to become a better father myself, which means trying to figure out where things were not ideal in the past. And, I mean, you always told me as a kid, right? You always told me as a kid, you got to take responsibility. You got to take responsibility, right? But now I come to you and talk to you about your parenting, and you're not taking any responsibility at all. And you know what that does to me, Dad? It makes me pretty fucking pissed off. Because you lecturing me about taking responsibility, own your decisions, own your life, be responsible. I mean, was that all just a giant lie? Because now I'm saying, hey, you've got to take some responsibility for some not great things you did as a dad from time to time. And you won't take any responsibility at all. So what the hell was the point of lecturing me about responsibility in the past when you won't take any responsibility in the present? I I provided for you guys. I mean, I, I got up at the crack of dawn every day and went to work and even worked a second job to help you guys get through some school. And I think I did a, a damn good job as a father. Do you remember, Dad, saying to me, I brought you into this world, I can take you out? Your mother would say that a lot, yeah. Yeah, did you ever? I'm sorry, it was mom. Did you ever tell her that was wrong? That you shouldn't threaten your kids with killing them in a way? Because, you know, when you're a kid, you take things pretty literally, right? Did you ever say to her that was, that was, that's not good? Do you think that was not, do you think that was great parenting? Your, your mother and I are a team and we tried to present a united front to you guys. And I, I don't agree with everything she did, but, you know, she, she was a great mom. She took you all around to your, your sports and, she made your Halloween costumes, and she's she's a super mom. And so if I go, I'm, I'm going to talk to mom next, of course, but if I talk to mom and I say, did dad ever ask you to stop threatening us with killing us or abandoning us? Um, would she say, oh, yeah, your dad really, really tried to get me to stop doing that, but I just didn't? Or would she say, oh, no, he never brought it up. He was, it was fine with him. I think your mom and I are around the same page with a lot of stuff, and I think she did what's best for you. So for you, it is good parenting to threaten your children in that way. Like you couldn't do that with an adult, right? You couldn't say to someone, if you don't obey me, I'm going to kill you. Right? That would, that would land you in prison, right? I mean, so you think that's – so you're of the opinion that that's good parenting. Like if you're around my kids, dad – and they do something you don't like or they don't do something you want them to do, are you going to say the same thing to them? Are you going to say, uh, oh, yeah, you know, I, uh, I, I I, could kill you for that? Oh, that was just a, a joke. You know, she wasn't serious. And you know, if you let us around your kids, we'd be great grandparents. What about the yelling and the name-calling? Oh, we were younger back then. We were stressed out. We were trying to make ends meet. And, you know, we weren't perfect all the time. But 
we did a great job. Okay, so guys. That's, listen, that's that's all I'm trying to. I, I get that you guys did a lot of great stuff, right? But you said we weren't perfect all the time. That's that's all I want to talk about. It doesn't mean I'm going to throw you under the bus or I hate you or anything like that. But if I want to get better, I have to look at things that weren't ideal. You won't be a perfect parent either. You're going to make mistakes. Okay, so tell me, tell me, tell me where you fell short of your ideals in your parenting. Tell me, like you said, we weren't, we didn't do the right thing all the time, or we weren't perfect, or we did things that were mistakes. Tell me what those mistakes were, because it would really help me. Like I'm begging you here, not because I want you to feel bad or want to punish you, but because it will help me with my parenting. It will help me be an even better parent. So tell me about the things that you regret. I wish uh, I had given you guys a better work ethic sometimes you look kind of lazy your regret is that your children turned out lazy that's not really a self-critical statement though is it oh you asked me what what we could have done better okay so so you should have done something to make your children less lazy what else what else do you do you sort of wish you'd done differently What else we have done better? Um, I don't know. All those times we we drove into the city together or took the train into the city together. I wish we uh, we spent more time talking to each other than just listening to the radio or or sitting there in silence. And that's kind of funny, right, Dad? And I mean this with all warmth and affection. But it's kind of funny that you wish you'd spent more time actually talking with your kids, but now I'm trying to talk about something important. You've spent like an hour blowing me off, right? I'm not sure that mistake is totally in the past with all due love and respect. There it is. You asked me for something. There's something. Okay. Um, uh, anything else? So you, you wish your kids hadn't been so lazy and you wish you'd talked more sometimes when we were on the train. Anything else? Uh, I just wish I'd given you a little bit more respect for for your family, for your parents. It feels you like uh, a little more respect for the, the folks that raised you would be nice. I mean, we gave you so much, and now it's, it feels like you're just uh, throwing insults in my face. Oh, so for you, insulting family members is bad. You should treat your father with some respect. Well, I am. Do you think that I should not be honest with you? Do you think it would be treating you with respect to not tell you what I'm thinking and feeling and to lie to you? I, I, th- I thought, I mean, didn't you tell me, didn't you raise me to tell the truth? I mean, didn't you say that telling the truth was important and I shouldn't lie? And I don't, I don't see how lying at the moment would be treating you with respect. And it certainly wouldn't be treating the lessons you taught me with respect. I think a lot of the stuff you're saying just isn't grounded in reality. I haven't heard anything like this from any one of your siblings. Like something's going on with you. So now it's bad that I'm telling you what I feel is the truth. So the truth is a good thing to say, unless it's upsetting to you, then it's bad? I don't think it's the truth.
And see, that's, I mean, and I'm just going to break out of the role play because that's kind of the end of the road, right? Yeah. Man, he's brutal. Yeah, that's... Uh, he's a zero responsibility so person. And, and yeah, everything that he said that he wished he'd done better was actually, well, most of what he said that he wished he'd done better was kind of like an insult to his kids, right? Yeah. I wish I had raised you to treat your father better who deserves it. I wish I'd raised my kids not to be so lazy. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> I wish that conversation was uh, was a lot further away from reality than it was. But no, I'm glad it wasn't. No, you got to, and it is amazing to me, right? Like you don't have any, you're an engineer. You don't have any acting training, right? No. You're brilliant in that scene. <laughs> I mean, everybody can do it. It's, it's, it's chilling, right? I mean, his level of evasion and, you know, he was constantly jumping out of the conversation to try and mind read you or to try and figure out, well, if I can frame this as to why this conversation is coming up that I don't have to deal with the content, right? Exactly. Exactly. Oh, man, I'm so sorry. But, but that's someone with a bad conscience, in my opinion. That's someone who's got a predator in the room called the honesty of his child. Mm-hmm. And man, that is uh, that's rough. I'm so sorry. So I can completely see why you're having trouble sometimes remaining present with your own children because your dad vanishes the moment you show up. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you either believe his version of events, or you don't exist for him. Right? Like he he can just, in a sense, erase you from the conversation if you say something that displeases him, right? Exactly. Oof, that's, that's tough, man. And then he complains that there weren't more real conversations. And he complains that insulting family members, which you didn't do, right? I mean, I don't know how you would do it, but I tried to role play with you with like, okay, there was some anger there. I swore a little, but I was also saying, you know, here's the pluses, here's the positives, and you did do a lot of good stuff. And I say this with all love and respect. And right, so I wasn't just insulting the guy. But it's, it's t- kind of tough for him to say, well, insulting family members is bad when he called you guys names when you were growing up and kind of insulted you, even in the conversation where he said, well, my kids are lazy, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's, uh, that's insulting, right? Or that you somehow weren't paying the due respect that you owe him. Yeah, I think the only thing that, uh, that maybe I wish he would have said that he wouldn't really have said is... Uh, I wish we had spent more time talking together. I don't right. think those words would actually come out of his mouth. But and if you pressed him on it, he would some he would somehow make it your fault anyway. Ah, your kids are always buried yeah. in your comic books or video games, and you know, it would exactly. be it'd be your fault anyway, right? You turn around on me, right? Right. I'm sorry, man. That's that's right. It's really rough. I mean, it really was. It was quite a quite a combat there, right? Of of reality versus fog, of truth versus Evasion. Yeah. And yeah. he's, uh, he's, he's good at that. He's really good at that. <laughs> he's really good at that, right? <laughs> and that's painful, right? That's, that's very painful. And to me, I don't know for you, but to me what bothers me the most about that kind of stuff is just the unbelievable hypocrisy of it all. Yeah. You know, like you got to study for your damn test when you're eight, but I don't have to read a book about how to be a parent at all. That's a question I, I actually asked him in the past. Did he read any parenting books? And he really said no. Yeah. And then he says, well, I just didn't know what I didn't know. It's like, but you're responsible for not knowing it. Exactly. 
Like the guys, now I don't know how to cut someone open. It's like, yeah, but you're posing as a surgeon. You're getting a knife. You're opening people up. You're responsible for not knowing that stuff and responsible for putting yourself in that situation, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, man, that's rough. That's rough. That level of evasion and avoidance is really rough. And it's painful. It's painful as well because at least what I got from that conversation, which is certainly not to tell you your experience, but what I got from that was a lot of anger just around the moral hypocrisy. You know, you got to be prepared for tests. I didn't read any book on parenting. You got to be honest. Oh, don't tell me this truth. You got to take responsibility. Oh, it wasn't nothing I did was wrong. Right? That, so people who have these big moral instructions to their kids, and then when their kids turn those moral rules, in a sense, back on the parents, and the parents completely dismiss those moral rules, that is a kind of agony. Yeah. It really is a kind of agony because all those moral rules were just control. They weren't, they weren't meant to be followed, right? It's like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like the Democrats saying, well, how could Donald Trump <laughs> not accept the outcome of an election? It's like, first of all, the election's not over, and secondly, you all just spent four years doing just that. Exactly. So that is, that is really rough. And I think dealing with that kind of pain, I mean, that's a fall from grace, right? That's a, that's a flame out of a god. If you look at your dad and you say these moral rules that he was so high and mighty about were just there to bully and control me. There was nothing about actual adherence to those moral rules. He doesn't respect those moral rules. He just used them to bully us. That's painful as hell. It hurts, yeah. Yeah, it's really – it's like my my mom would say – would scream at you, will treat me with respect, like after beating me up. It's like, what are you – what? You just beat me up. I'm a little kid. You just beat me up. And now you say, you demand that I treat you with respect. It's like, I'll fear you because I'm not an idiot and I want to survive this childhood. But respect? No. No. Never. Uh, So that's, that's rough, right? Yeah. So with regards to your own kids, connecting with them is going to make you cry because you can't connect with your father. And so you're not avoiding your kids. You're avoiding the pain of not connecting with your father, right? Exactly. You process that pain, you, your heart will be an open book with your kids, and you will connect. It's like a plug in a socket. But that's the barrier, <laughs> in my opinion. Sorry, go ahead. I'm doing everything I can to avoid feeling this pain. To avoid and- the pain? Yeah, of course. I mean, to walk the walk, to walk towards the fire. <laughs> Let me try that again, but in English. To walk towards the fire is very counterintuitive, right? To say, oh, this thing really hurts and I've got to walk towards it. That's, I mean, that's kind of counter to how our whole brains work, right? Mm-hmm. Put your hand back in the fire. No, I don't I want to put my hand back in the fire. It would give you an unbreakable fist. Uh, I don't think that's true. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I, th- I think that's, that's the barrier. If you can just sort of meditate on that and, and realize that if you don't connect with your children, then your dad wins. <laughs> right? Then the past wins. Then he's trained you so well in avoidance that you will reproduce this. And now, not as badly, it, but, you know, we don't want incremental improvements, right? We, we, don't want, we don't want Apple to say, well, in 30 years, we'll release an iPhone that's 10% faster. 
right? We want double the speed next year. Thank you very much. And it's the same with parenting. We don't, we don't have the time and we don't want and we should not accept, you know, well, my dad was a 20% better dad than his dad was and I'll be 20% better. Okay, so in 60 years, you gain 40-odd percent, right? Yeah, that's no good. I mean, if, if you had a business plan, if Tim Cook came out of the business plan and said, well, in 60 years, we're going to release an iPhone that's 40% faster, <laughs> I don't think he'd remain CEO for very long, right? Mm-hmm. We want quantum leaps, right? And, and I don't have forever to, to feel the pain and connect with my kids. I mean, it's, there's a time limit on it. Yeah, you want to do it sooner rather than later because every day that you don't connect is a day they drift further away, right? To the point where you end up on the other side of the universe like this role play with your dad, right? Yeah, it's just uh, in the moment, it's a lot easier to get that distraction than to make that connection. That's, that's where I'm struggling. Right, right, absolutely. And you, you don't, I mean, you want to prepare for it. I don't know that you necessarily want to dive into it straight in the moment. But you want to force yourself to, you know, eye contact and ask questions. And, you know, I mean, your kids may be old enough to indicate what they feel positive or negative about with regards to their home life, you, your parenting, whatever, right? What do you like? What do you not like? What's good? What's bad? And, you know, they're your customers, man. And they're your captive customers. So you have to have the highest standards, right? They can't go anywhere else. There's no, there's no competition for dad, right? Yeah, you deserve the best. I deserve the best. And listen, you are great at this. You know, this is emotional work, which for an engineer is not necessarily the most <laughs> easy thing to do. Uh, next, you'll do a call where you try and teach me statistics, and you'll see just what I'm talking <laughs> about as far as that goes, but from my side. But no, you're doing really, really well at this stuff. You've identified where the gap is. And uh, you've reached out for help, and, and you did a great job in this conversation. But, yeah, you can you could write down. You can talk about things with your wife. Uh, there's, you know, John Gray, Nathaniel Brandon. Other people have these exercise books with sentence completions and other things that can help, you know, blow this dam open and, and get these feelings flowing. And um, your kids will be um, very grateful and, and positive about it, I think. Yeah. I want to bring these books. Will you keep me posted about how it's going? I will. Thank you, Stefan. And how was how was the convo for you as a whole? It was great. It was, uh, put me in touch a little bit more. I okay. appreciate it. Good. Well, keep me posted. And, and thanks again. I really, really appreciate your time today. And, and well done. It's a great, great job. Okay. Thank you for your time. Bye. Bye-bye.